Amen. This morning, uh, which is the Sunday after Pentecost Sunday, uh, we're going to continue with our theme, theme, and our theme, and for us, this is Pentecost 2020, or Pentecost 20, if you like, and uh, our theme for this uh, week, uh, a season of Pentecost, which in this uh, series, a three-part series, we believe we will conclude this afternoon, is our topic has been beyond the day of Pentecost. Beyond the day of Pentecost. And it's about understanding, receiving, and experiencing the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. Message number three, praise the Lord. Message number three is eight steps in relating with the Holy Spirit. Eight steps in relating with the Holy Spirit. This is part three. Part three. Eight steps in relating with the Holy Spirit. Before I, we go further, let me explain what this series of messages are about. They are about what to do with Pentecost. That's what they are about. They are about what the believer needs to do with Pentecost. They are about God's expectations of the believer concerning Pentecost. And before you really fully understand and grasp the essence of this series, we have to understand that under the Old Covenant, Pentecost was a promise. A Pentecost had not been fulfilled in the way God had planned it in eternity. Under the Old Covenant, God's people experienced Pentecost in type. Their experience of Pentecost began on their way out of Egypt. When the Spirit of the Lord came among them, overshadowed them like a cloud. And they were moving in that cloud for 40 years in the wilderness. That was the type of Pentecost. Praise the Lord. Uh, uh, Paul said that they were baptized under the cloud and under the water unto Moses. Amen? So, and when they settled down in the land of Canaan, they began to celebrate Pentecost as a feast. As a matter of fact, Pentecost, throughout the history of Israel, was one of the three major feasts that God had given them. The three main feasts, which when you break them down, you can, they, they'll come up to seven. But the three main feasts were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. If you break them, break them down, you have seven. I wouldn't want to get into that now. So they were celebrating it as a feast. And they did well. They looked forward to it. Praise God. Praise God. And then, the essence of that feast, because of the essence of that feast, it was named Jubilee when they celebrated every 50 years. That's the Pentecost of years. Beyond the yearly celebration, they had a way of celebrating the climax every 50 years. By the way, Pente by the, by the, way the word Pentecost is derived from the word 50. And I don't want to get into that, all of that. But the year of Pentecost, the Feast of Jubilee, and Jubilee was celebrated with the sense that everyone ought to be free that year. Slave, servant, debtor. Debts were canceled. A prosperity was experienced, a joy and abundance. That was the essence of Jubilee. Refreshing, newness of life, the power of God among God's people. That was the essence of 
Pentecost. So they celebrated it. But they knew that the Spirit of the Lord, which is the embodiment of Pentecost, had not come in the way God wanted it to come. The prophets prophesied about the coming of this Pentecost. Joel was the last traditional prophet that prophesied about it. After Joel, John the Baptist came 400 years after Malachi and began to speak about the Pentecost. And in John's language, he was speaking of it in terms of the coming of the real person. And they began to look forward to his coming until 50 days. The seventh Sunday after the weekend of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, something happened. Mighty rushing wind coming into the house where the 120 disciples were waiting because Jesus, the Lord of Pentecost, had asked them to wait. And so when they waited, that never-before-seen manifestation of the presence of Almighty God happened. And when it happened, believe it. That weekend, like every other weekend of feasts, Jews around the world would gather in Jerusalem. And this time, the same thing. And so, when the Holy Spirit came, and the disciples of Jesus began to react the way they reacted, manifesting in various ways, speaking in tongues, the people said they were drunk. Peter said, no, we are not drunk. This is that which was promised. This is the ultimate Pentecost. But brothers and sisters, I want to just skip fast to let us know that it's typical of the modern church to see Pentecost as a day. Because we do talk about the day of Pentecost. Because Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. But I want to let us know, I want to remind us that in God's plans and purposes, Pentecost ought not to be just a day. Pentecost is an era. Well, if we have to stick with the word day, then we have to also remember that in the Bible, we are told that a day is like what? A thousand years unto the Lord. And a thousand years is like what? Like a day unto the Lord. So we can say the day of Pentecost. And I want you to know this particular day of Pentecost has lasted over 2,000 years and is still counting. So, brothers and sisters, when you think Pentecost, don't think about 2,000 years ago. Think about today. That's the whole idea of what we are talking about. Pentecost every day. Every Sunday ought to be a Pentecost. Every service, midweek service, ought to be a Pentecost. It's a manifestation of Pentecost. Every home prayer meeting, every family altar, as we call them today, ought to be a Pentecostal stage. Wherever we are, because that same Holy Spirit has not gone up back to heaven. No, he hasn't. He's here. And he will be here until the end of this age. What is his purpose? In one word, Pentecost. So Pentecost is here with us. It's, a, it's an accomplished fact. I know very so often we are looking for how we are going to start another revival. We don't need to have to get the Holy Spirit again to come and start a revival. The Holy Spirit is already here. He's waiting for us. When we respond, we will see revival. Some people are looking for a new Pentecost, a new day of Pentecost. No, a swamp Pentecost is here. We have a way of trying to push everything back to God. When God says, I am here, what do you need? So we need to gather together as often as we want. If we want to see fresh manifestation of Pentecost, it's no longer in the hand of Almighty God. It's in our hand. Praise God. Praise the Lord. So what 
does God expect of us? At the same time, we can say, what do we make of the Pentecost we have? There are a lot of expectations laid out in the New Testament for us. There are a lot of ways that the early church responded to that event. A lot of ways. But we have singled out eight responses. Eight responses. Praise the Lord. That we notice from the pages of the New Testament as to how the early church responded to Pentecost and carried Pentecost beyond that first day. And we saw that these, praise the Lord, these eight ways were also expectations that God has of us concerning the gift that he gave us known as Pentecost. Pentecost is a gift from God. It's an experience. It's a person, and it's also an experience. So we started looking at them. Number one is that we acknowledge the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit as a reality among us today. That's number one step. Number one expectation of God. We looked at scriptures. The first two tapes have all these. Number two, these are definitive responses. Number two is that we receive him. The, on the day of Pentecost, actually, after Peter spoke to, and explained what was going on, the Jewish uh, pilgrims who were watching him said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, believe, and you shall receive. These are definitive acts. Repent. And that's important for us. Well, for the church, we're talking to people who have already repented. Those people at that time had not repented. They had not believed that Jesus was, Lord, was the Lord. But they did that day. But I'm talking to people who have already done so. But there may be some among us who have not received. Because in modern church, when new converts come to Christ, we don't give them fundamentals anymore. We just gather them and begin to show them how to make it in life. How can you make it without the Holy Spirit? We don't even talk to them about water baptism. We have not taught them fundamental things about Scripture, fundamental doctrines of Christ. And we didn't care about getting them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Many congregations, many ministers will tell you that the paradigm has shifted, that this is 21st century. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about what century you're in. I said, praise the Lord. Number three, a continuing, we must have a continuing consciousness of his person and awareness of his presence. That's number three. We must have what? A continuing consciousness of his person and a, a continuing awareness of his presence. That is key. That is key. And that's what worship is about. That you are constantly aware that the person of the Holy Spirit and his presence are with you. Number four is to stay under. Praise the Lord. I think that's number four. Number four is to, right? To stay under. Amen. No, sorry. Number four is to get filled. To get filled is much more than getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. To get filled is that after you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you get ready and present yourself in such a way that the Spirit of the Lord will lay hold on you. When the Spirit of the Lord lays hold on you, it's much more than getting baptized in, uh, with the Holy Spirit and getting off and doing what you like. No, it's being prepared so that the Spirit of the Lord will lay over you, lay his hand on you, and take you over. And moments will come. There are moments that will come that he will manifest that, take you over, manifest himself in and through you in a most supernatural way. That's what it means to be filled. One of the preachers of past centuries who spoke so much about the Holy Spirit, emphasized on the Holy Spirit, 
and he used to talk to them about being filled. And somebody said, well, uh, 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 Pastor so-and-so, if we have been baptized and filled on the first day, why do we have to be filled again? He said, because we leak. <laughs> Don't we leak? We do leak of the Holy Spirit. We do get dry because we veered off. We didn't let him to continue to lay hold on us. Now, in many ways, we walked away. But when we get filled, it's a way of laying yourself before him. He lays hold on you. And there are times that will arise. He will move upon you in a most unusual way and impact your environment. Number five, quickly, number five speaks of, amen, to live and walk in him. Live and walk in him. The Holy Spirit is a person, but it's also an atmosphere where our realm, where the believer can live and walk in. And conduct ourselves in accordance to the word he speaks to us. Number six is, praise the Lord. I think number five actually is to abide under his headship and follow his leading. That's number five. Abide under his headship and follow his leading. The Holy Spirit is not here as a colleague of ours. He's not here as one of us. He's not here as our mates. He's here as the head over the church. Jesus is the head of the church, but he appointed the Holy Spirit head over the church. So the Holy Spirit is here as the Lord among us. So we must learn, learn to abide under him and to live in him under his headship and to follow his leading. Number seven is to live and walk in him. He is a person, but more than a person, he is a realm where the believer lives and walks in. Hallelujah. We're going to number eight. Uh, number seven today, I believe. Cultivation and manifestation of the fruit of divine character. Amen? Number seven, the seven expectations of God for us concerning Pentecost. The seventh way we can respond to the presence of the Holy Spirit among us, which began on that day known as the day of Pentecost. The seventh thing we have to, uh, that we have to do in response to the gracious gift of God's person and feast known as Pentecost among us. The seventh is the cultivation and manifestation of the fruit of divine character. The cultivation and manifestation of the fruit of divine character. Praise the Lord. Amen? The fruit of divine character. God wants his people to throw away their old character, which was the Adamic character, which was the character of the fallen man. God imparts his own character upon our lives through the presence and operation of the Holy Spirit. Didn't the Bible say we are partakers of God? We are partakers of his life. We are partakers of his spirit. That's what the Bible says. And that involves we laying aside the character of Adam. Laying aside the character of the fallen man and taking up in us the character of the new man, Jesus Christ, which is divine character. The character of the Son of God, which is the character of God himself. Brothers and sisters, character is important to God. Amen? And this character set is known as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The Bible speaks about it, or we can also call them kingdom or Christian character or virtues. Kingdom or or Christian character or virtues. 
These are so important to God, brothers and sisters. And God expects that when we received the gift of Pentecost, we must respond to God. By the reason of this gift which we received, God expects that we respond to him by imbibing his character, which this same Holy Spirit will impart upon us. Let me put it this way. The Spirit imparts God's character on us, and then the Spirit expects us to cultivate those characters. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't happen instantaneously. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand that it is important that we do this. And check the Bible. Anyone who receives any form of Pentecost, any form of the presence of the Holy Spirit, and doesn't care about character, will make a shipwreck of themselves and their faith. They will become a casualty. Praise God. God demands this character of us. Turn with me to John 15. John 15, media. Quickly, we're going to move faster now. John 15, the 15th chapter of the book of John. This is important. If we say it's not enough to speak in tongues, brothers and sisters, that's all I'm saying. It is not enough to speak in tongues and experience goosebumps every time a song is playing and every time the man of God is preaching. Anytime we enter into the Lord's presence, we begin to have goosebumps and shout, hallelujah, that's good. But God expects more than that. Go with me to verse 16 to 17. Character still counts for God's people. Verse 14, verse 16 to 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and do what? Bear fruit. Notice fruit there is singular. Fruit there is what? Singular. And I've explained why it is singular. I will explain it again. That you will do what? Go and bear what? Fruit. Let me pause here and say that this fruit that the Lord is expecting us to bear here is not the fruit of how much we have achieved in life. It's not even the fruit of how much we have achieved in ministry. How many churches we planted? That's good. How many souls were won? That's good. How many churches? You know, how many this? How many that? That's good, but that's not the fruit the Lord is talking about here. He's talking about fruit singular. I'll tell you what the fruit is. So that your fruit will remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Notice here, it is the Lord himself that is demanding that we bear fruit. But he knows that in our ordinary nature, we cannot. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit was coming, one of the things he charged the Holy Spirit to enable us to do is to bear fruit. Are we listening? Amen. Amen. What's the primary fruit? Let me show us the primary fruit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Praise the Lord. Let's look at the primary fruit quickly. Ephesians 5, I will start from verse 8. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Verse 8, for you were formerly darkness. He's talking about those who received the Lord and were baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's telling them where they're coming from, where they came from. You were formerly darkness. Can that be said of many Christians today? You know, we ought to have a past. Many times we drag our past into the present. And continue to live in our past in the presence as if nothing happened. The Bible always makes a distinction between our past and present. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. But when? Now. But when? Now. <laughs> okay. What made the difference? Walk as children of light. I told you the meaning of walk in the New Testament. To walk in the New Testament is to conduct yourself in a certain way. That's the meaning of walk. It's not the same as taking a walk for exercise. No. 
Walk as children of light. In other words, conduct yourself as children of light. What's light? Christ. Where is Christ revealed? In the Bible. In other words, walk in accordance to what the Bible says. Move on. Why? Move on. For the fruit of light, singular fruit, the fruit of light consists in all what? Goodness and what? Righteousness and what? Truth. All these three constitute that fruit. Number one is what? Goodness. Number two is what? Righteousness. Number three is what? Truth. As a matter of fact, the main one there is the one in the middle, righteousness. Because out of righteousness comes goodness. Out of, and, and, and out of righteousness comes truth. So the fruit, singular, is what? Divine righteousness. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we must stop living in ways to please ourselves or to please others. I, I tell you this. If you please the Lord, yourself and others will react, will take their place. I'll, I'll, I'll really t- tell you what happens. If you please the Lord, or when you please the Lord, self will revolt. But if we stick with pleasing the Lord, self will let go. If you please the Lord, others will be pleased. And if there's any revolt in others, it is self in them. And self in them will also learn to kiss the dust and go their way. Let's look at specifics. Fruit. That the Holy Spirit can bring in us. Specific. These are the basic, the general. Let's look at specifics. What does the Holy Spirit impart in us and expects us to cultivate in order that we might manifest divine character, the character of God? Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Amen. Galatians 5. Quickly. Amen. Are we in Galatians 5? All right. You go to verse 16. Go to verse 16. Let's start from there and we stop somewhere. Quickly. Amen. If you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you have received Pentecost, if you are living in Pentecost, yes, what the Spirit of God expects us to manifest. And that is clearly the character of Almighty God. But I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, conduct yourself in accordance to the instructions of the Holy Spirit as laid out in the Word of God. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Did you notice that? The Holy Spirit came so that flesh will let go of us. Moving on. 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. Notice that, capital S. The Adamic nature. Flesh means the Adamic nature. The fallen nature. Flesh here does not primarily mean our physical body. Stop beating your body. You need it. Flesh is the sinful attitudes, pleasures, come on, desires, affections that are contrary to the desires of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that that passage, that epistle was written to believers. You dare not say this to an unbeliever because it doesn't have two persons living in him. He has one person. He has flesh living in him. But a believer has two. Believers, children of God, the flesh in us was put to death on the cross, but it's still inside of us, waiting for anybody to resurrect him. And we do good jobs in resurrecting him many times. But here, we are shown how to keep him dead. For the flesh says its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. If Paul hasn't written this, we will argue. We will say, once you're saved, there's no problem inside of you again. It's not true. For these are, what are these? The flesh and the spirit. Moving on. In opposition to one another. I don't know if there's anybody listening or watching that experiences this conflict. 
in them. Born again, tongue speaking. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So that you may not do the things that you please. Find Christians. They want to obey the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. Hear me. But they don't get to. Because the other guy inside gets us to trip. But am I not saved? Am I not baptized? Don't give up. Because Pentecost came that we might walk in dominion over this. And he's about to give us the secret. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law, the devil cannot use the law to hold you in, in, in bondage. Because if you try to go according to the law, you are waking up the flesh. And the flesh will get you to trip. But if you are out to go by Christ, by the revelation of the truth, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, then that's the secret. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 19. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Go ahead. Moving on. 20. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of, of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, come on, and envying. Go back to 20. You know where some Christians put a stop in that passage? You go back to 19. Let me show you where some Christians put a stop. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality, period. For many Christians, these are the three main sins. And those things are sins, serious sins. And some Christians don't even care. They are believers, they are, but they are living in immorality, in impurity, in sensuality. And they are still living as if nothing happened. But there are some other believers who don't commit these three, but go to the next one. They live in idolatry, in sorcery. In, oh, you can't be here. Those are sins. But let's look at the next set. Enmities, strife. No, no, go back. Enmities, strife, jealousy. Arbots of anger. Disputes, dissensions. Those ones trip more than any set of sins. A lot of believers live in that without feeling guilty. Without feeling that they, have, they are living in sin. Enmities, strife, jealousy. Arbots of anger. Disputes, dissension. They don't go. They don't get along with Pentecost, and the Lord wants us to deal with them. Woo. Pentecost is there to deal with them. Moving on, next factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Notice it's a long list. The New Testament cannot contain all of them. Of which I forewarned you. Moving on, Hallelujah. Just as I have forewarned you. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because somewhere a sport says that the kingdom of God is not food and drink. But what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You notice that? All right. But the fruit, singular, listen to the specifics. But the fruit of the Spirit, if you are in Pentecost, if really you are enjoying Pentecost. If really you are walking in Pentecost, you must cultivate these. Deal with the other list. And how do you deal with it? By cultivating the elements of this list. They are the fruit, singular fruit. Why? Righteousness of the, of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those are the character traits of Almighty God, which he wants to see in his children. And the Holy Spirit of Pentecost is here to impart them to us. And you know what? Can I say this to you? He has imparted these things on us. I can tell you this. Every believer, go back to that list. Every believer, let me say this to you, and I want to change something here because we've been trained to live in hope instead of living in faith. Hope has its place. Let me say this to you. For instance, gentleness. Every believer has divine 
gentleness inside of him or her. But you know what? It doesn't have. You know what? I said every believer has a dose, a measure of gentleness in him or her. But guess what? Not every believer has sat down to cultivate that gentleness in him or her. If you, ask, if you remind him, say, brother, sister, you have to be gentle. He goes to start praying about gentleness. No, you have it. What do you need? Cultivate it. And you know the most challenging thing? For you to cultivate it, you will get challenges that will test your gentleness. You, you dare not go to God and God say, God, make me to be gentle. God, give me gentleness. No, the Holy Spirit has already imparted the gentleness on you. And when your gentleness is tested, that is an opportunity for you to take a step and cultivate a little more of it. I, I, wish, I wish you're getting what I'm saying. Go back on that list a little bit. Go back on that list. Let me show you this. Let me, here's a common one. Every believer has a measure of the love of God inside of them. Every believer. Don't go out and tell people, you know, you know, you know why I like you, sister? You have the gift of love. I wish God gave me the gift of love. That is a lie. Every believer has love. You don't have to have a gift of love. Every believer has the love of God. The Bible said that God has shared his love abroad in our hearts. He didn't mention anybody's name. Through the Spirit. So let's stop living in denial. You have joy in you. But as long as you love, you love to make trouble, you will never experience the joy of God. As long as you love stubbornness, you will never experience the joy of God. So give away your stubbornness and begin to practice compatibility with others. Your joy inside of you will rise up. Your joy is not in your husband. It's not in your wife. It's not in your mother-in-law or father-in-law. It's not in the other believer. It's in you. But you have to make room for it to grow. Every believer has patience. That's a big one. But only a few of us sit down to cultivate patience. All right. Let's go to... Let's go to Second Peter, I believe, chapter 1. Second Peter 1, quickly. Let's go. Second Peter 1. Amen. Second Peter 1. Let's go to verse 8. Or verse 5, sorry. Verse 5. Hallelujah. Peter was speaking to believers. Amen. Say, now, for this very reason also, I like the word apply. The word what? Apply. You know what is implying there? The Holy Spirit has put these things in you. What do you have to do? Apply them. Brothers and sisters, no one can ask you to apply what you don't have already. Is that correct? When you go to school and you graduate and you get a job, they will say to you, apply what you have what learned. They cannot ask you to apply what you have not what learned. You apply what you already have. So Paul is saying here, apply all what? Diligence. Meaning, you as a believer, the Holy Spirit has given you diligence. You have diligence inside of you. I'm talking about Pentecost, brothers and sisters, just in case you're just joining us. How do you make use of your Pentecost? Apply all what? Diligence. Some of us apply a quarter of diligence and we are panting. But you say, apply how many? How much? All of diligence. He didn't say, go and ask God for diligence. No. He said, apply all diligence in your faith. Listen to another word. You do what? Supply. You don't supply what you don't have. Ah. Can anybody hear me? It meaning you already have what? Moral excellence. Moral what? Excellence. We'll ask people on your job how, how, how your morality is, whether you have excellence. You say, but pastor, that's my job. That's not my church. The Lord makes no distinction. As a matter of fact, you know where we need to see it more? In the world. And, and in your moral excellence, apply or supply what? Knowledge. A lot of us are so ignorant. No, go to the next. Praise the Lord. Amen. And in all your, and in your knowledge, apply what? self 
control. You can walk away from that daunting pressure. The spirit of addiction. Anything that holds you, that binds you, that you must make you to obey them. No, you can overcome them. Self-control. And your self-control apply what? Perseverance. Patience. Hallelujah. And in your what? In your perseverance, godliness. Apply or supply what? Godliness. And in your godliness, praise the Lord. Do what? And in your godliness, apply what? Brotherly or sisterly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, apply, supply what? Love. Did you notice that he is he's taking it for granted that you have the love? He says, supply it. So the implication there is, brothers and sisters, we have the love, but we are holding it. We've been holding it. Woo, hallelujah. You say, Pastor, how do I do this? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a secret given by Paul himself. If you go with me to Romans chapter 8, I'll give you the secret that Paul gave. Here's the secret. If you're struggling with any of these entanglement with the flesh, I'll, I'll give you Paul's secret. It's found in Romans chapter 8. A lot of Christians have not found this. And if this, anytime this doesn't work, it's because after you have known it, it's because you forgot to apply it. Go to verse 12. Go to verse 12. I wish we have time to go to verse 10, 11, and so on and so forth. Why not? Let's start from 10, quickly. Let, let's start from 10. Amen? Quickly. Okay. If Christ is in you, if Christ in you, Christ in you is the same way Paul also talks about the Spirit of God inside of you. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin. Did you notice that? Even though the deeds of the flesh are in your body, are inside your life, yet the spirit is alive because of what? Righteousness. Meaning, you can overcome that flesh inside of you and the deeds thereof. Why? Because in the same body, the spirit is alive. The spirit of God is in that body. And you know what? Through the manifestation of righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit, it can overcome the deeds of the flesh. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in our what? It's, sorry. Dwells in, our, in, in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, next verse, amen, from the dead, will also do what? Give life. Quicken your what? Your mortal bodies. We apply this scripture in healing and it works. But also we can apply it in character. Your mortal bodies are those attitudes, those tendencies in you to walk in sin and unrighteousness. Amen. If the spirit is in you, that can be dealt with. Spirits of addiction, failures and weaknesses. Amen. Amen. Through who? His spirit who dwells in you. When did that spirit come? On Pentecost. Amen. Verse 12 says, listen to this. Listen to verse 12. So then, brethren, we are, I like the way it was phrased in, in the, here and in the King James. So then, because of verse 10, brethren, you are under obligation. Listen to that. Don't put a period there. You are under obligation not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. What is Paul saying? Because Pentecost had come, you don't have to obey the devil. That's what he's saying. You don't have to obey your flesh. You don't have to obey the flesh and fulfill his sinful desires. You don't have to. That's what the Bible is saying here. Because of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Because the Spirit of God is still with us. Amen? Amen. You don't have to. You're not under obligation to the flesh. You live according to the flesh. You continue. Amen. Here's what it says. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, here's the secret. If by what? The Spirit, not by your own strength. You are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. 
So here's the point. You will, come on, praise the Lord. Because of Pentecost, you have been equipped to deploy the Holy Spirit to answer the devil, to answer the flesh whenever they tempt you. That's part of your Pentecostal experience. Samson had the power, for instance, but he didn't have this. But a New Testament believer has this. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen. And so on and so forth. Number eight. Let's go to number eight because of time. I have one scripture more on this, but let's go to number eight. Or, or, you know, the Holy Spirit will lead us, will get us into that at some point. Number eight. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's the eighth expectation? The number eight expectation of God for us is to receive and manifest his power. To receive and manifest his power through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Through the gifts and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What is he saying here? Receive and manifest his power. The next thing that the gift of God to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and in the experience of Pentecost offers us and which we must respond is to do what? What did I say? Receive. Is that correct? And manifest his power. Whose power? The power of God. The very power of Almighty God. Amen. Has been made available in its fullest measure to us on the day of Pentecost. Amen. <laughs> and God expects that we receive that power. Amen. And do what? And manifest it. God expects, let me say, say this to you. God expects that we receive and demonstrate the Holy Spirit. Let me say that. Let me put it in the reverse, in the real, real order. I said, because of the events of the day of Pentecost, we are expected to continue to live our lives until Jesus re re returns by receiving the Holy Spirit and demonstrating him. By receiving his gifts and manifesting them. And when we do this, we will experience what is known as the manifestations of the Spirit or the manifestations of the gift of the Holy Spirit or the manifestation of the power of Almighty God. And guess what happens? I will tell you what happens when we do that. When we do that, we will experience and witness miracles Signs and wonders. Is that clear to everybody? Hallelujah. Listen to me, brethren. Many of God's people today, many of the servant quotes, servants of God, go to seek power from other sources. Many people who had received power from other sources, who were never believers, penetrated the church of Jesus Christ. Any power, whether in the four walls of the church or outside the four walls of the church, that operate, that were received outside of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is false power. Quote me. And no true power of God can come to anybody who does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Savior and the Redeemer. That Jesus, by his death, burial, and resurrection, had accomplished God's plans and purposes. Anybody who doesn't believe that cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And is not part of Christ. And any power that emanates from such a person is not of God. And the Holy Spirit has no part in that power. 
praise God. Hallelujah. Let's look at scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, this power was promised to the people of this day. In the Old Testament. Turn with me to Isaiah quickly. Isaiah 8, 18. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. We'll go rather quickly here. Isaiah 8, 18. Here's what it says in verse 18 of the prophet Isaiah. Verse 18. The Spirit of Christ was speaking through the prophet. Say, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for what? Signs and what? Wonders where in Israel the church is the new manifestation of that place, of Israel. Amen? From the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. The church is Mount Zion. Hallelujah. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 2, this passage was repeated. The writer of Hebrews was quoting Jesus. Say, I and the children God has given me. Who is the I? Jesus, the anointed one. Who are the children God has given him? Christians, the anointed ones. What, who anointed them? The Father anointed them by what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what's the result? And that's Pentecost. And what's the result of Pentecost in that sense? Upon them, in them, and through them, signs and what? Wonders. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's come to the New Testament. In the New Testament, Mark 16. Get me to Mark 16. Quickly. Mark 16. Amen. Verse 18 to 20. Here's what it says. Mark 16, 18 to 20. Quickly. Mark 16, 18 to 20. It said, go to 17, please. 17. 17. These signs shall accomplish those, Jesus was speaking, who have believed. What did he say? In my name, they will do what? They will cast out what? Demons. In my name, by my authority. And they will do what? Speak with new tongues. All of these are manifestations of the presence of of the Holy Spirit received at Pentecost. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. 19, quickly, 19. They will lay hands on the sick. Oh, sorry, 18. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Is that a miracle? Yes. How did it come about? Pentecost. Is it still expected of the church today? Yes. Has it been happening in the church today? Yes. Is Pentecost therefore real for today? Yes. Amen. Amen. Continue. 20. 20. Uh, sorry. Go, go back to 19. And they went out. No. Uh, yeah. You go back to 18, please. Okay. 19. So then when the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, he was received up to, into heaven. Amen. And sat at the right hand of God. Uh -huh. Next. And they, the church, went out and preached where? Everywhere. While the Lord, listen to me, walked with them. The Lord, Jesus, walked with them. How did he walk with them? The Spirit among them. And confirmed the word by what? Signs and wonders that followed. Luke 24. Luke 24. Luke 24. Quickly. Luke 24, verse 49, quickly. Verse 49. And behold, he said to them, you go to 48, please. You are witnesses to these things, to his death, burial, and resurrection. 49. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. What's the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit, Pentecost. He was making this promise after his resurrection but before Pentecost. But you are to what? Stay in the city, the city of Jerusalem, until you're clothed with what? Power. From where? 
on high. What is the power Who is the, to bring this power from on high? How is this power from on high going to come? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody that goes to water to get power. Anybody that goes on the earth to get power. Anybody that goes to the mountain, to forest to get power. It is not walking in Pentecost. Any child of God who goes to any source but the Holy Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit to get power has insulted himself and he has put himself or herself under bondage. By the way, whatever power you're going to get from those sources are inferior power. They are corrupt power. This is clean power. As they say in modern times, clean energy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Acts, okay, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if anyone who believes in me shall do the things that I do. Is that correct? Even greater things shall he what? Do. Why? Because I go to my father. What does he mean by going to the father? When he went, goes to the father, he knew that the father sees him. He presents what he has done before the father. The father accredits him and the father asks him and he asks the father, you promised me that if I redeem my brethren from the hand of the devil, you will give them what I have. I have the spirit they need to have. Guess what happened? The father gave him the spirit. The Bible said that Jesus poured forth the spirit. He shed forth. Because when he went to heaven, 10 days after he arrived in heaven, the Holy Spirit came. Does that make sense to anybody? That's why he said, because I go to my father. Meaning when he gets there, the spirit will come down. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, quickly. Acts 1, verse 5 to 8, quickly. Let's look at these. We're almost there. Uh, verse 5. Okay. For John baptized with water. I don't want to get to what happened in verse 3 and 4. But you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Not, listen to this. Not many days, yes, from now. What was he referring to? Pentecost. Pentecost. Okay? So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time, amen? Go ahead. Is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? I don't want to get into that now. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Listen. Listen. Next verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What event was he referring to? Pentecost. Amen. See what God is expecting us to do with Pentecost. And you shall be, what? My witnesses, both we are in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. First Corinthians chapter 2 First Corinthians chapter 2, amen, amen. First Corinthians chapter 2, here's what it says. I'll read verse, verse 1 to 4 quickly. Verse 1 to 4. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with the superiority of speech or of wisdom, Paul was saying. Go ahead, verse 3, proclaiming to you, amen. Okay, but I was with you in weaknesses and in fear and in much trembling. That's the human nature of Paul. A lot of people see Paul as a tall, elegant, huge guy. When he walks into the room, the room is filled, no? Paul said, Paul, historians attest to this scripture and say Paul was kind of not that of a, a presence. But here's what made the difference. Verse 3, quickly, verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 4. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's my thing there. What does God expect of us? To demonstrate the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, and then what will happen? His power will manifest. A lot of people attend conferences on how to manifest the power of God, how to do this, how to receive my anointing. They, people, you lay hands on them for five, ten years, nothing happens. They can't demonstrate. When you demonstrate, the power comes. 
I'll, I have a way of explaining this scripture. Years ago, those of you who know the, the vacuum machine known as, um, I forgot the name now, the Kirby machine, right? Oh, it was very expensive. People don't want to buy it, Pastor. People don't want to buy it. It was very expensive, but it was good. So when the manufacturers and the, the, the distributors recognize that people find it expensive, you know what they do? They will leave stickers on your home and say, can we come and demonstrate it? They say, you don't have to buy it. <laughs> they say, just give us 10 minutes, 15 minutes of your time to demonstrate it. You don't have to buy. Don't buy just for us to demonstrate. That's all they say. And you know what? When they come and you sit on your sofa and they start demonstrating it, you start asking your wife, hmm, this one is better than the other one. Hmm. 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 They've not told you to buy. As they're demonstrating, you're making up for your mind to buy. That's what the church needs to do. Just demonstrate the Holy Spirit. And people will buy Christ. <laughs> That's how Paul won the world. He demonstrated the Holy Spirit and power. And people say, well, that's how they stopped worshipping Diana of Ephesus. Paul spent only two years in Asia. All he did was to tell them that the gods, all you people are worshipping is no god. It's like, really? Show us. He demonstrated healing in Ephesus. And before you knew it, the blacksmiths people who were making idols were locked down. <laughs> Not by a pandemic but by the Spirit of God. They said, what happened to our business? They had a meeting. They said, you guys, are, it's not, nothing to do with the economy. It's this guy they call Paul. He's going around telling anybody. Everybody, that Diana of Ephesus, whom the whole of Asia worships, is no God. That's all. Philip went to Samaria. Before Philip went to Samaria, there was a guy who was deceiving people. Philip went there, demonstrated the power of God through the ministry of deliverance and healing, even that magician who paraded himself as God gave his life to Christ. We can go on and on and on. Sergius Paulus on the island of one of the islands over there and he was the counselor, the spiritual advisor to the governor. The governor was listening to him but when Paul came he challenged Paul. Paul rebuked the man. The man got blind. The governor got converted. So, why? That was Pentecost. Notice that Paul, let me tell you, if you're thinking you are not there on the day of Pentecost, Paul wasn't there too. Are you aware of that? But when he came in, he caught the fire much more than even those who were there. Paul was not in the upper room. <laughs> but when he came, he caught the fire. Brothers and sisters, we have come 2,000 years after. This gift of the Holy Spirit, we are made manifest. We are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 2. We don't have time anymore. We're out of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 to 10. The gifts were listed there. Amen? Here's what it says about Jesus. The Bible said, Peter was saying, talking about Jesus, you know Jesus of Nazareth, whom God had anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing what? Hmm. Praise the Lord. He went about. Healing the sick. Casting out demons. Why? For God is with him. Is with him. Pentecost is God with us. I want to show you a scripture before we go. Go with me to First Peter. I know we're out of time. First Peter. Two scriptures I want to show you. They're not in tape. For those, okay, at least you have them on your record. First Peter. This one scripture concerns, two of both scriptures concern both the ministers and the children of God and the rest. First Peter, let's go to verse 10. Verse 10. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10. First Peter. Verse 10. Here's what it says. 
as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that will come to you. Notice that as Old Testament prophets made careful searches and inquiries about you and I, about what the Holy Spirit will do with us. Amen. Moving on. Amen. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them in the Old Testament was indicating, come on, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. That one we dealt with already. Death, burial, resurrection. Amen? Next. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things. Who is you? You and I. In these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the what? The gospel. By what? The Holy Spirit what? Sent from heaven. What is the Holy Spirit sent from heaven? What is he referring to? Pentecost. What does he do to the preachers of the gospel? Amen? He commissions them. Fills them with power. And his presence sends them forth. Any New Testament believer must glory in this. You don't, dear Lord, what an insult for a New Testament believer looking for power, looking for ministry, to go to the hand of the devil to get power. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and we pray. We take the communion and we pray. Hebrews 2. Amen. 3 to 4. Hebrews, the second chapter, 3 to 4. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Amen. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. Next. Next. God also testifying with them both by what? Signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That's the New Testament church. That's an effect of Pentecost. That's an expectation that God has of us. And that's one of the things we can do with, the, with Pentecost. That's how, what, how we can go further with Pentecost. I'm going to ask 